Good Eisenberg, and welcome to your favorite podcast. The name of the show is Eisenberg. My name is Ian Eisenberg. Each episode, I'm going to be interviewing people that I find interesting. Some of them I might know, some of them I might not know. So today, I have two individual wonderful women who each have left the United States and have built lives in other places. First, we have Angela Vidiello, who right now is living in the Netherlands. And then later in the show, we have Hannah Mason, who has built a life for herself in Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you, everyone, for joining. And here are our interviews today. You start with Angela. She grew up in my hometown of Port Chester, New York, and has traveled around the world. Hey, Angela, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Yes, yeah, so, so tell us, like, where are you living right now, as I know you've been just traveling the world? <laughs> I actually, I live in the uh, Netherlands. I live in Rotterdam, which is in South Holland. It's about, uh, let's say, 45 minutes from Belgium, the border, and let's say about 45 minutes from Amsterdam. That is impressive for people hearing all over the world, including here in the States, including in your hometown here in New York. So tell us, like, what brought you there? And also the fact, what brought you out of the U.S. to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I absolutely love where I'm from. And growing up in New York was a pleasure. It was really cool. It's great. And everyone's really interested in hearing that. But uh, I decided to switch careers and go into education. And as the economy took a dip, I lost my job in 2010. And I decided to make a negative into a positive and look at opportunities overseas. So, so I know that that brought you first to Korea, right? Yes. I was there for three and a half years from 2010 until 2014. Tell us about your experiences there and what was it that attracted you to South Korea in particular and just how was the way of life just different to compared to what you were used to here? All right. Uh, what attracted me to Korea? Well, once I know that, uh, once I knew that I was being laid off, I did a little bit of research. I looked at uh, similar salaries, security, safety, uh, the easiness to assimilate, and uh, on most factors, Korea won over other places. Um, for example, the Middle East. The salaries are really quite high in the Middle East, but safety and security not always a positive. So that's why I chose Korea. Assimilating and getting comfortable with things there, oof, uh, to be honest, the hardest thing when you get there is seeing that there is very little English. In many countries, there's a lot of English because English is the international language. But there, not so much. It really depends. There are tons of military bases, and therefore there is some English, but it's not as much. Even though the Korean, actually North Korea, is totally different. But South Korea, you have a lot of English in some places because of the influence of the Korean War. It influenced their language a lot as well. But it was difficult. Um, I was lucky. There are some graduates of Portress High School that were in uh, Korea at that time and did help me with, for example, getting situated. So I was quite lucky in that respect. Excellent. So I'm guessing that you did over time learn the language. Like, I'm, like, what's your level of fluency in Korean now? <laughs> well, actually, to be honest, I would say my level was quite low. Uh, as a foreigner there, 
Um, I would say that you need to know some basic phrases when you go to any country. For example, hello, goodbye, please, thank you. I would recommend that to anyone who's traveling overseas. You don't need to be fluent in the language, but at least know the basics of politeness. In Korea, it was a little bit more. Uh, I would say that I knew how to order food, how to tell taxis where to go, directions like left, right, straight. Um, but if somebody would have a conversation with me, I would pretty much be able to tell them, do you speak English? And they would say yes a little bit, and we'd be able to take it from there. So, yeah, definitely my level of fluency was nowhere respectable in the aspect of communicating with locals. But you did make it a few years, so that is definitely something like, what advice would you give to somebody, a foreigner who, an English-speaking foreigner like uh, us, to, to, that would move to Korea now? Pick up a phrase book, a uh, Lonely Planet phrase book, or some kind of phrase book to where you can have some uh, very basic phrases like, where's the bathroom? <laughs> Please, thank you. Uh, the level of politeness there is different than in English. I mean, in English, if you say, ma'am, sir... Uh, please, uh, yeah, just these basic phrases, then you actually sound more polite. But there, they have different phrases of politeness. Asia has a lot of that. Actually, other languages, too. Uh, a lot of Latin languages have a very polite way of saying things as well. But, yeah, I would definitely recommend picking up a Lonely Planet phrase book, learning those very polite phrases. And if you try, when you're traveling to any country, even Korea to be polite and to speak their language. They're a lot more approachable to foreigners anywhere. Um, so that would be my advice. Pick up a Lonely Planet phrase book. Be curious. Try to reach out to people. Try to get to know foreigners no matter where you try, travel, and you will get a lot more of an authentic experience anywhere, including Korea. Excellent. So after leaving Korea, you went to the Netherlands. And tell me about what you're doing there now and really the differences that you're experiencing there? Um, uh, after I left Korea, I decided to travel a little bit and then I went to the Netherlands about six months later. Um, actually, I think it was four months later. After traveling, I stayed with a friend in Amsterdam and decided to start a business. Uh, I have an education and business consulting firm there or I guess, freelancing consulting firm. The differences between the U.S., I would say it depends on where you're from. As a New Yorker, uh, I don't find this to be a drastic difference, but it was a drastic difference to Korea. People there are incredibly blunt. They don't see it, but that's just the way that they do. I wouldn't even say business. I would just say the way they live their lives. They are very straightforward. As a New Yorker, Growing up in Westchester, the city or anywhere in the surrounding areas of New York City, you're kind of used to this anyway. But if you're from, say, for example, Oklahoma or California or Florida, it, it wouldn't be – it would be a shock. It really would be a shock. Um, but I, like I said, being from New York, that definitely wasn't a problem for me. Other differences there, uh, their government is a lot more um, giving to the people. Um, but they're a lot stricter than we are here in the United States. I would say, for example, even going in and out of airports is a lot more strict there due to some recent things that are going on. Things are a little bit cheaper, but salaries are less. Uh, there are a lot of differences between Europe and the United States, I would say. Excellent. So now being in the Netherlands, is this a place that you see yourself spending the rest of your life in? Or like, what, what do you see for your future at this point? Uh, um, 
I see the Netherlands as a stepping stone, to be quite frank. Um, I see it as my uh, foot into the European continent and my way to grow, uh, yeah, in the future. Can I actually say anything more than that? Probably not. But I, I logistically and honestly can say that I really see it as a stepping stone to my future. Excellent. So, yeah, I remember maybe it was almost two years ago when you were just raising money to start the business, which I remember there was that crowdfunding campaign where we had, because I was actually on a plane when I did that, which I thought was really cool. Thank you to in-flight Wi-Fi. Just tell me about like what it took from you to start a business and, and how did you have to change yourself to make this thing happen? So when I arrived in the Netherlands, one of my Dutch friends told me that there is this thing called the friendship agreement. And the Netherlands was one of the second countries to welcome the United States as a country way back when. The first being, of course, France with the Statue of Liberty and everything. So when she told me about this friendship agreement, she told me that with a minimal investment, you can start a business here as a freelancer. So I looked into it and that just made me, I mean, I had already invested a lot of money in making the move there. So I didn't really have the extra money to start this investment, uh, to start the business with this investment. So I started the crowdfunding campaign. Um, and what I asked was if all of my friends, I mean, if you think about all the drinks when you come home to visit yeah. uh, and all of these fun things that, you know, when you come home that people do, hey, let's meet up. Well, if the cost of a drink to help me, instead of buying me a drink next time you see me, donate $5 to this campaign and I can raise the 5,000 euros that is needed. Um, and I ended up raising a little bit less than 5,000 euros, um, but it was, still was enough to where that I could scrape up some extra money or you know, ask some family, stuff like this, to be able to help make the difference. And uh, how I had to change, I think there's a difference in mindset between Europeans and Americans. I think I struggle sometimes with that. For example, in the United States, we really are, or at least in New York, I've lived in the South and it's not the same. There is this efficiency and this making the most of your time where in Europe that really doesn't exist. Uh, but other than that, really to change the way that I am, I think being a freelancer and owning your own business, it comes a lot to time management um, and making sure that you're constantly searching for that next opportunity. And I'd say that's the one thing that I struggle with the most. Yeah, what have been some of your biggest successes and places where perhaps you've found business and you've found a customer in a way that you didn't even expect? That's a great question. Um, biggest success initially would be a client finding me on LinkedIn and feeling that I was, um, I mean, this may sound that I'm degrading myself, but for just starting a business in another country, they felt that I was qualified and, uh, what they were looking for to hire me as a trainer to train their four designers, architects, and engineers to be able to effectively communicate in the Netherlands with their international clientele. And they have clients from everyone from uh, McDonald's to Nike, like huge multinational corporations, international corporations, which was for me a huge success to be like, wow, I was found on LinkedIn to be able to uh, go out and really make an impact on this company. And what was even more impressive is that I marketed myself and was able to get double the amount that I get with all the rest of my clients. So that was a huge success for me. 
that that's incredible because I know that I feel that as LinkedIn has hit a critical mass as I've been using LinkedIn maybe since 2005 maybe that I feel it's a very different place right now and for good reasons and for bad reasons as well so it's great to hear that that's how powerful that is like what other ways have you been marketing yourself um of course, networking is number one. Even when I was teaching at a university and a high school here in New York, I would always tell my students that it's all about talking to people and networking with people because it doesn't make a difference where you are in the world. And I don't care what the social differences, the cultural differences are. Networking is number one, talking to people. It's the way to get your name out there. Um, second, I would say, would be finding the available tools um, that are there in that country. So you have to find whatever uh, websites. There is the equivalent of Craigslist in the Netherlands. Uh, Craigslist exists there, but it's not very strong. Um, so I found that tool, and I put myself out there, and I was able to get some opportunities that way as well. Uh, in addition to that, I would say finding freelancer sites and other things like that and putting your credentials out there. Um, if, I would say, though, above and beyond, networking is number one, because through that I was able to get a job at a university in the Netherlands, um, and then everything really just kind of snowballed from there. Amazing that you're just able to just essentially just create a career and create a business just in a completely different country. Yeah, and to be honest... When I talk to people who are either married to Dutch people or who are native Dutch people, they're actually amazed at how fast I was able to make everything happen. And to be honest, I don't care what anybody says, and I am probably one of the most independent people you ever meet, but you have to depend on people sometimes, and you have to ask people for help or advice and just be open-minded and take criticism and really just understand that no matter how stubborn or independent you may be sometimes you have to rely on people for advice or for some help excellent so so as you're continuing to grow i'm going to give this an up you this opportunity right now um how would you like people um, listening to this show to reach you and what kind of help and support could you use right now mm, that's a great question if people want to contact me with questions they can email me uh, my email address, I guess, would you prefer me to give it to you now or would you prefer to put it on the website or something? I'm going like to put that? it on the website and the social media and have everything there connected to it. Great. So I'll give you my email address later. Um, if, yeah, if anybody has questions in regards to starting a business or making that transition, uh, I can absolutely help. Um, in regards to helping me, uh, honestly, I would say I don't really need help. Um, but I would say that the best way that people can help me would be to help others. If you have someone who needs some advice about what you do, um, if just kind of to pass it forward, you know, pay it forward, um, in any way in which you can help to influence someone to aspire to achieve greatness or to do better, just take an extra second to give someone the wisdom of something that you've learned. That would be the best advice then, which to help me, just to pay it forward. Excellent. And give any final thoughts from for our audience and everything today. As hey, you, you, as as you've been a great guest, I feel that we've learned a lot about you and just some your incredible experiences, just traveling the world and finding success. 
Wisdom. Um, uh, regardless of what's going on in the world today, be curious, be open-minded. Don't be afraid of things that are going on in Europe right now. It's really not as bad as everybody really thinks it is. If we're scared, I mean, as New Yorkers, we learned this way, way back years and years ago um, in 2001. But uh, I would say stay curious and don't let the negative things that are going on in the world today hold you back. Excellent. All right, Angela, you've been a great guest today, and thank you for doing this. I'm glad that we finally made this happen. My pleasure, and uh, in the future, I'd love to do it again sometime. Thank you, Angela Vidiello, for being my first guest on Eisenberg. I actually had been in talk with her for months about recording this, and I'm so glad we finally did and that we finally are on the air and have made this podcast live. My next guest, as I mentioned, is her name's Chara Mason. She lives in Jerusalem. She has a world traveling story, born in Colombia, growing up in Florida, living for some time in Australia. So here's Hannah. Okay, we have Hannah Mason here. She's I'm actually recording this by Skype through it through her home in Jerusalem. You're in Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Excellent. Hey, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Excellent. It's been a billion years since we first met. Um, she is a world traveler. She lives in Israel now, born in Colombia, grew up in the United States, spent some time in Australia. So, hey, I want to ask you about just your experiences and what brought you to where you are today. Um, so it's really interesting to hear you call me a world traveler because I don't see myself that way, but it's really fun to be described in that way. Um, so I was born in Colombia, and uh, I didn't schedule that myself. That was that was my parents doing. Um, none of my grandparents actually were born in Colombia themselves. My mother's parents uh, were from Germany, and they left uh, when they saw the writing on the wall in the late 1930s and ended up in Colombia. My father's mother grew up in the Isle of Rhodes. Her father was a big rabbi there. And um, the situation in the Greek Isles was not very good financially um, in the 1930s. So she and most of her siblings left, which is very good because any family that she had that stayed in Rhodes ended up in Auschwitz. So she and most of her siblings left. They ended up scattered throughout the world. So I guess in a way I've seen myself as having family everywhere uh, from South Africa to the Belgian Congo to eventually Belgium, um, Argentina, Atlanta, New York, uh, now Miami, Paraguay, Colombia, all over the place. So, um, so my grandmother ended up in Argentina and my grandfather actually grew up a 10 minute walk from where I live now here in Jerusalem. His family was originally from Salonika, and, um, which was a very Greek uh, isle. And, uh, he and, and his, you know, he grew up here. But in the, um, between World War I and World War II, the financial situation in Israel was very difficult. There was literally almost famine. So he left Israel and ended up in Argentina, and that's where my grandparents met. And uh, eventually they ended up in Colombia and had my father and you know long story short I came about so uh, when I was a kid 
um, the security situation in Colombia uh, for our family in particular got uh, bad enough that we kind of had to flee the country. Um, so we did when I was five years old. But I spent most of my summers going back to visit my grandmother, the one from Rhodes with whom I was very close. So I started traveling by myself at the age of eight. Wow. Yeah. Very comfortable with a passport. I think at eight might have been the first time my parents let me stay home alone and you were just going to different countries. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and like the drug thing was like such a big deal that there was one time I was flying to Colombia by myself and they were concerned that somebody might try to smuggle something into my backpack. So the airline took away all of my baggage and put it all in the cargo and put me in first class so they could keep an eye on me. Hey, you got first um, class. I know. I slept through first class. That was my only first class experience, and I slept through it. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Yep. So then it brought you to being an adult. I remember many, many years ago, I asked you where you thought you'd be. I'm not sure if it was five years, ten years or so. And you were talking about definitely not living in the U.S., like living like in Europe or somewhere. And I know that part of your travels brought you to Australia. If you could tell me a little bit about that adventure. Um, so I went to university in New Hampshire uh, at Dartmouth College. And while I was there my junior year, for reasons unbeknownst to me, the idea popped into my head that I needed to move to Australia. And um, people asked me why. And I said, I have no idea. And they said, do you know anyone there? And I said, no. And I said, what do you know about Australia? And I said, koalas and kangaroos. And now it's like a very hip place to travel. But back then it was not, people didn't go there after college. It wasn't like a known thing. Unless you were Irish. The Irish go there a lot. So, uh, but the Americans, not really. I applied for one job with a management consulting firm uh, whose base is in Boston, but they have an office in Sydney. And I luckily got the job, and they paid for me to move to Australia and for me to have a visa and everything. And um, a bunch of really special things happened for me. One is that I knew that I wanted to become an observant Jew. Um, and so I just started keeping, the minute I moved to Australia, I started keeping kosher, I started keeping Shabbat, and I connected with a whole really amazing network of other young, hip, cool, uh, growing in their Judaism uh, crowd. And uh, so I worked in management consulting. I got to go to the Olympics. Sydney is an amazing city. I totally thought that I would stay there. It's such a happy place. The weather, it's like North Carolina weather. It's springtime all year round. It's gorgeous. You've got mountains, you've got beaches, you've got cliffs. It's just a beautiful country and a beautiful city. Uh, I took the ferry to work every day, got off the ferry at the Sydney Opera House, uh, which was very cool. Um, and, uh, I got to a certain point in my Judaism where I felt like I was really lacking for Jewish education because I didn't get one growing up. So I decided that I was going to go to Israel for two months, quickly get my, myself a Jewish education, and then come back to Australia and get a master's in theatrical directing, which was really my passion, not management consulting. So I went to Israel and that's what brought me here. I was planning on coming for two months. And how, and how long has it been now? It's been, uh, um, since then, 15 years. And this happens a lot. Israel has this, has this tendency to uh, create addictive behavior in people. And people come, 
doesn't happen to everyone, but it happens to a disproportionate number of people. Most people throughout the world, they travel somewhere, they go, it's nice, you know, you go to Italy, yay, you speak some simple Italian, you eat some pasta and some pizza and some gelato, and you're on your way. A lot of people come to Israel for a couple weeks and find themselves staying longer and longer and longer, and next thing you know, they move here. So that's kind of what happened to me. Um, I, I decided those two months were going to turn into a year, and by the time that year was over, it was very clear to me this is where I wanted to live. So I went back to America and lived with my parents in Boca Raton, Florida, which sounds like a really nice place unless you're young and single, in which case it's really boring, which was perfect because that way I wouldn't spend any of the money I was saving up. Hey, it was a great place to visit my grandparents. <laughs> exactly. So, so, uh, so thank God I got to save um, something like $10,000 which allowed me to have a cushion when I came and moved to a foreign country and was trying to learn the language and all that stuff. So that summer, that was the summer of 2003, I officially made Aliyah, I officially became an Israeli citizen. And um, I'm falling deeper and deeper in love with this country and the, the, the richness of it, um, the amazing people who come here, it seems to gather a lot of really fantastic people, particularly the immigrants, because um, most of the immigrants that I meet bent over backwards to come here. And they did so for really meaningful, interesting reasons. And everyone is just such so fascinating that people like sort of left to the box they were in in order to step out of the box into this creative life they've created for themselves here. So it's really fun. Excellent. And talk about creativity. I know one thing that definitely piqued my interest when I was thinking about having guests was I saw your website that you launched a while ago. And if you can tell me a little bit about that and, and the things that you're doing. Ah, cool. Okay. So, um, so I guess I sort of travel. I'm like a, I'm like a, I would, uh, a, a career traveler <laughs> or an interest traveler. I happen to be one of those people who's interested in absolutely everything. Um, which sometimes makes me freeze because I can't pick. And sometimes it ends up being really fun because I get to try out a lot of different things and they don't always last forever, but they're super fun. So right now I'm exploring being a guide, being a, a guide sort of on the outside, doing educational programming and taking people through my neighborhood and, um, and the open marketplace in the center of Jerusalem. We happen to live in downtown Jerusalem, we live in like the funky Greenwich Village-y kind of neighborhood where there's every single type of person with every single type of color, level of re religiosity. There's a lot of non-Jews here also, an insane amount of artists. Uh, so it's just a really funky, hip, lots of students place to be. Um, it has a lot, a really rich history. So I take people through my neighborhood and then take them into the open marketplace, which also is just from a from a sense uh, uh, and a sense of olfactory and taste buds and experiences and sounds and sights, it's a really fun place to explore. And I kind of give them a little bit of like the, the secrets and the the backstories they wouldn't get from just wandering through the marketplace uh, in Hebrew is called the shuk on their own. And I do internal guiding, helping people work on personal growth, which is something I've been working deeply on myself for years. Excellent. That sounds amazing with what you're doing and what you've brought and how you've brought your experience. 
you have any final thoughts today as you've been a great guest and anything you'd like to share? Um, so I guess like, I don't know, it's like really cool hearing you call me a world traveler and seeing how much I travel all these different parts of life. And I would, uh, request it to be given as a gift to all of your listeners to have them step out of their experience, either through reading books and learning about other people's lives or even just watching international films or traveling somewhere new or taking on a, a new topic that you've never learned before or learning a new art form. Um, just because life is here to be lived and there's so much richness. So, you know, we can all be blessed with so many colorful experiences. It makes life a lot more fun. Excellent. And, um, if you want to give a plug for your website, um, that would be great. Oh, cool. Okay. So my website is hanamason.com. That's C-H-A-N-A-M-A-S-O-N.com. And you can learn about uh, the outside guiding and the inside guiding and get in touch with me. I post blogs about once a week. Excellent, Hannah. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been great hearing your voice for the first time in just years. Years, years. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for the honor. All right, you're welcome. Thank you, Hannah, for being my guest. And also, thank you to Angela. We had Angela and Hannah today. A lot of world perspectives in the Netherlands, in Israel, talking about Korea and Australia and Colombia and flying first class and just a lot of amazing things. Thank you very much for joining me on my first show. My name is Ian Eisenberg. The name of this show is Eisenberg. And I'm looking forward to the next show and looking forward to you listening to it. Thank you. Thank you.